Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Amen, guys. For the last number of weeks, uh, we've been kind of examining this remarkable attribute of Jesus and the fact that this guy just can't attend a funeral, can he? Right? <laughs> I preached a message entitled Funeral Crasher about Jesus a few weeks ago, and then we looked at uh, just uh, the concept of faith and resurrection. But what we do not have an account of Scripture, uh, what we do not have an account in Scripture of Jesus just simply attending a funeral. Every time that he shows up, that funeral actually gets stopped in its tracks, right? We read about it in Luke chapter 7 when he's coming into the city of Nain. There's a funeral procession coming out of the city. Jesus shows up uninvited and winds up just kind of putting the whole sad party on hold when he raises the widow's son from the dead, right? (laughs) And so literally stops this funeral procession in its tracks and the plans change. Right, we look again in Luke chapter 8 with Jairus' daughter, right? We see a little girl that has died. There's mourners, there's wailers. It's a sad scene. And Jesus shows up and says, yo, she's not dead. She's only asleep. And they mock him. And he goes in and he raises this girl who has died and brought her back to life. It's this, remarkable, it's this remarkable thing. Today we're actually going to look at another story, probably the most memorable um, account of Jesus raising the dead outside of himself <laughs> in Scripture, in the raising of Lazarus. It's one of my favorite passages. It's one of my favorite stories. I believe it's powerful and speaks to us today. But you might ask, like, why so much talk on raising the dead? Where is this going? Like, are we going to, like, as a church, just going to go to the graveyard or something, start praying people out of the grave? Like, what, what application does this have for us today? And especially on a vision Sunday, like, aren't you supposed to, like, cast vision for, like, the next year and tell us about, like, the programs and the things that we have slated for the calendar and what we're going to kind of, uh, like, how, how we're going to make this happen? Right? That's what a Vision Sunday typically looks like and typically is. Well, friends, uh, you don't need to worry. Like, we're not going to the graveyard. We're not taking a field trip or anything like that. Um, I want you to know something. I've seen the dead raised. I don't say that, like, to pat myself on the back. I didn't, like, get a special Christian badge for that. But I've laid my hand on somebody that was dead and seen them come back to life. That's cool, Right? Can I tell you, I would trade that a thousand times over to just see someone give their life to Jesus. To see someone that is spiritually dead find life in Jesus is the greatest miracle that I have ever seen and ever encountered. And it's something that we should celebrate and that we should seek after. I say that because, you know, Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespass and sin. And so while, while I believe that there is a life that is more real than the life that we see right now, 
I talk about this when I talk about like spiritual warfare and stuff. I believe that there is something more real than what you and I experience here on the earth right now. Like physical body, like looking at Tate right now, I can go up and I can touch him, like I can pinch him and he would feel it, right? <laughs> and to us, that's what defines something as real or not, right? I believe that there's a spiritual realm that is more real than what we experience here right now on this earth. And I believe that there's a life that we can have that is more real than the breath that we currently have in our lungs. But with that, I believe there is a real death that is more real than just somebody departing this earth and losing their last breath. I believe that there's a death that exists that is eternal separation from God that we never want to experience. But the good news is that Jesus has conquered it both. Conquered them both. And so when I'm talking about spiritual death, I'm talking about something that is a very pressing issue that I believe Jesus wants to conquer. uh, That Jesus has already conquered, but that we need to celebrate. Again, I believe that there's also the resurrection of the dead as we've been reading about this, we've been looking at this. I don't believe it just merely applies to those that are lost and do not know Jesus. I believe that Jesus is in the business of resurrection power and that he wants to restore some people's faith this morning. That you feel like maybe your walk with God has been on life support and you've just been barely getting by. I believe God wants to resurrect some things. I believe he wants to speak a word and bring life once again to dreams that we've let die and passions that we've let fade. I believe that God wants to speak very specifically while I was praying for this message, while I was seeking the Lord, he specifically laid marriages on my heart. I believe that he wants to speak life into marriages and love once again into marriages and see them thrive and blossom. When we're talking about Jesus conquering death, we're talking about the resurrection of dead things. I'm not just looking at, like, I, I know our primary focus has been the lost being saved, and we're going to continue to champion that, but I believe there's some passion that has faded. I believe there's some people that feel like they're just getting by. I believe that there's marriages that God wants to heal. I believe there's more to it than that. Does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm getting at this morning? Hmm. I love Revelation chapter 1. John, who we're going to read his account of what takes place with Lazarus here in John chapter 11 in just a moment. Later on in his life, when he's exiled on the island of Patmos, he has a vision. uh, Well, he encounters Jesus. (laughs) He falls at his feet. But Jesus says this in 118 of the book of Revelation. He says, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Friends, I I know that we're, we're quick to understand that Jesus died and he conquered sin. And we talk about that a lot. We talk about how Jesus has delivered us from sin, but he didn't just conquer sin. He conquered conquered sin and death. Romans 8 talks a lot about the law of sin and death and how they're, they're they're inseparable. 
and, the, and we look at James and we understand that sin, when it's run its full course, actually brings forth death. And what I love about Jesus was that he didn't just conquer our sin. He didn't just deal with our sin on the cross, but he actually conquered death itself as well. And what that tells me is that he will conquer our sin that he has power and victory in order to forgive us from our sin, but he also has the power and authority to deal with its repercussions as well. And that's good news for you, friend. That's good news for me. That he didn't just deal with, the, with part of the problem, but he dealt with the whole thing. And that's exciting to me as we study Jesus resurrecting the dead. As we look at these miracles. You see... Uh, John's gospel is compiled a little differently than the other three that we read about. They're called the synoptic gospels. John was written at a later point in time and actually takes a different approach to telling the story of Jesus with a different, uh, with a different um, kind of delivery in mind. And so he doesn't include all the other stories that we read in some of the synoptic gospels. Not that it's like less true or anything like that, but um, he actually only records seven miracles in his book, and it's structured intentionally that way. He called or or seven signs that Jesus does, and it's pointing to him as Messiah, and like kind of the climax of these miracles that Jesus performs in John's narrative comes with the healing and the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and it's actually almost this this crux of the narrative where things begin to shift for Jesus and uh, the plot to kill him is suddenly unravel or is suddenly unveiled and it goes full fledged into his passion from here on out and so we we stop looking at the miracles of Jesus uh, when we're reading through the narrative in the gospel of John we we come to this story of Lazarus and then all of a sudden we see God's heart exposed to mankind and we see we walk with him through the passion and it's powerful it's one of the reasons why John's one of my favorite books in the bible and uh, man it'll mess you up if you start reading it it's so good but <laughs> it's one of those things that i think is so interesting to me Mm. I think one of the problems we have as a church, one of the problems we have as individuals, is that we believe that Jesus conquered death. We can, you know, we can cite the Apostles' Creed. We can believe that he died and rose again. We believe that he could raise others from the dead. We read these stories, but we have little faith to believe he can actually do it in our own lives. Because we're more concerned that somehow uh, maybe Lazarus or these other people deserved God to heal them. And we don't, we wouldn't ever like, if we sat down and practically thought about it, we would know that that's not true. But that doesn't mean that we don't feel that way sometimes. So someone here, I believe that you just need to know that God doesn't want to move in your life because you've deserved it or you've earned it. God doesn't want to, doesn't want to bring about resurrection of dead things in your life or bring about resurrection of you because somehow you've caught his eye in such a sense that you, you had it all figured out and you did a good job. It's actually in spite of our efforts, in spite of our shortcomings even, that God moves on our behalf. And that's really cool stuff. And that's really exciting for me. You see, as an Assemblies of God church, I get this, 
I get this form sent to me every year around this time that has, um, has a, it's like a questionnaire. And I'm supposed to fill it out. It's called the ACMR. It's not a bad thing, so I don't want you to take what I'm about to say as some kind of like jab at the Assemblies of God or something like that. But as a small church, it can be a little discouraging to start filling one of these out because they ask like, how many events did you do this year? How many baptisms did you do? How many people did your church lead to the Lord? And uh, more often than not, you know, I'm not putting thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in these numbers and in these lists. I imagine that when somebody's getting these reports that they're looking at uh, maybe what God's doing here and not really giving, giving it full credit. In fact, I've had uh, a number of people, of well-intentioned ministers, but one in particular that uh, pulled me aside and basically said, when am I just going to let this church die? <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was pretty, it was pretty harsh, like the way that he phrased it and the way that he wrote it. He's like, you know, you've given almost 10 years to this thing, and, you know, it's not really that much different. I mean, he was trying to be nice in the way that he was saying it, but there really wasn't a way to kind of present that in a, like a comforting way. But his sentiment was, man, why don't you just go do something else? Um, and, it, man, it really stung in one sense, but I really felt the Holy Spirit in that moment. It was really felt comforted by him um, with this because I think you need to know this. Friends, if I left tomorrow or, or I died or something like that or I just decided to completely leave, I can leave having confidence that what has transpired here hasn't been based upon like my excellencies of being a pastor. I can rest confidently in knowing that God has sustained this work and he will continue to sustain it. And anything that is ever good that comes out of this church only he can receive credit for. And so I want to release you from the mentality that somehow a man could ever be responsible for God's work going forth in this sense. I believe I can be a good steward. I believe I can listen to the Holy Spirit and, and uh, help foster a move of God. I, I believe those things, but uh, for a church to live or die based upon a man that is not Jesus is foolish thinking. Does that make sense? Our hope has to remain in God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And so I want you to understand that what God's doing here, and I believe he's doing something. I believe somebody that says just shut up and let the church die, they have a very poor understanding of what God's doing, for one. But uh, they obviously have way too much confidence in who I am because that doesn't, uh, that doesn't plan out. So sorry to let you down if you thought uh, the church's success was somehow based upon me because that's not the case. <laughs> um, but I think number two in, in regards, these are the things that I wrote down just in process to this sentiment that he was off, okay? We, we can establish that. I don't think he was listening to the Lord at all but he's still a good friend, and anyway. <laughs> but to base the life and health of a ministry based solely on numerical increase is a really poor litmus test, friends. You know, I'm excited because we are growing. Like, God has been adding to our number, and that's encouraging, and that's good. And I actually see it in Scripture that we should, we should want that, and that should be something that we desire. 
but it's not a good litmus test. And I want to be very confident in the way that I approach this and say God is moving in our midst. God is moving in this church. And if I had to like, to like take the pulse of what God's doing here, I would say our church is healthy, friends. I would say take a look at what God's doing in our deeper projects where people are engaged in the word of God. Show up to one of our prayer meetings where the majority of our church is active and engaged in the place of prayer, and that excites and encourages me. You know, I've talked to so many pastor friends that they've tried to get a prayer meeting off the ground, and there may be like two or three older church ladies that'll show up every once in a while. Friends, when we call a prayer meeting, the church shows up. I remember when we started Open Door Church, when we did the relaunch and we would have pre-service prayer meetings, there were Sundays where we had more people in prayer than actual service because people would have to go to work. (laughs) Um, Guys, I love what God is doing here. And I'm encouraged by it. And I need you to be encouraged by what God's doing here. So break off any kind of funk or any kind of discouragement that you might have. If you look around and say, you know what, I wish there were more people here. I wish we had this, or I wish this was happening. Um, Because God is moving, and he's doing something. I believe it's only in preparation for something far more impactful to come. Does that make sense? Hmm. So I'm saying that. uh, I don't need to shut up, or I don't need to leave and just let this church die, because we're not close to death's door. I don't feel like it's knocking or anything like that. If anything, I feel more encouraged and excited about what God's doing in this hour than I ever have before. And so, just so you guys know where we are on that. But I do believe this, in response to both of those things, spiritual maturity has to manifest an appropriate reaction um, to the command of the Lord. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I believe that we're spiritually healthy. Well, I believe that there is, uh, I believe there's life in this church, that there needs to be an appropriate response to God's call to evangelism. Because I believe any move of God, uh, every move of God that I've ever studied is marked by two things, prayer and people being saved. <laughs> I believe prayer always precedes a move of God. And I believe that we've majored on that, and that's been good, and we're not going to stop on that. <laughs> but God moves, and when God moves, people get saved. And if we want to have an effective mark of, or an effective way to judge what God's doing, I think the simple question we could ask, are people giving their lives to Jesus? I know we can't make somebody do that, but the Spirit will draw them in. And, you know, I'm frankly frustrated and tired. This is, my, this is me talking to myself, not just this isn't like it's supposed to be a heavy, heavy-handed rebuke of the church, but I'm tired of people coming to our church and telling me, oh, the Spirit of God's moving. I felt the presence of God. That's so good. I want that. But if people aren't being saved in conjunction with God's doing, I believe we're being poor steward or stewards of God's presence. Because God doesn't move, he doesn't pour out his spirit, he doesn't encourage us and empower us to just do nothing. It actually says that the Holy Spirit will empower us to be witnesses. And so I really believe coming into this next season as we're praying that that people would encounter Jesus, that the spiritually dead would be awakened to life, 
I believe there's a hefty responsibility God's placing upon us as his bride, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to carry out spiritual maturity in action, not just kind of getting by. Does that make sense? So that, those, were the, that, those were my initial gut reactions to somebody telling me to just leave, let the church die, and find something else. So that, right? Don't worry, I'm not. I know, I know how to filter when something's the Lord or somebody that's just saying something stupid. So sometimes. <laughs> um, you guys good? We're tracking? So a theme that's been connecting, um, or a verse that's been connecting this theme for quite a while is a simple verse, but it's found in Romans 4.17. And so as I've been talking about the fact that God wants to raise those that uh, are spiritually dead to life, as I, b- I believe God wants to restore dreams, to, to, to resurrect faith, to really pour passion into marriages, those are the main ones that God had, had spoken to me. I believe that God sees things from a different perspective and a different plane of view than we do. We can look at situations and deem them hopeless. We can look at situations and kind of ride them off as completely, utterly ridiculous. And God sees a perfect breeding ground for a miracle. And he says this. uh, I I love uh, Romans 4.17. It says this, that we believe in a God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And uh, right now, I believe God's looking at our church, not seeing something that's dead, not seeing something that's on life support, not seeing something that's just barely struggling to get by. But I see hit, he's, I, I see a pioneering movement coming out of what God's doing here in this congregation as one that's going to reach to the very ends of the world, not just Pagosa, with the gospel of Jesus that souls might be saved. And so I, 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 I believe he's speaking to us. And though other people might look through it as an earthly lens and say, you know what, you're a small church. Your budget is small. You don't have a lot of money. You don't have the most talented people. Guys, did you know Tyler wrote that song this morning? I didn't say that. I was going to make a joke about it earlier, but I didn't because the Holy Spirit not up to me. But like, God is using you, Tyler. I'm excited for that. That was really awesome. Sorry, sidetrack, bunny rabbit trail here. But (laughs) um, God, he gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's cool. He looks at hopeless situations. He looks at your marriage that you think there's little to no hope for. He looks at, at that person that you've been praying for that you're ready to give up on because you haven't seen them come to Jesus yet. He looks at those family situations and those dynamics, those dreams that you've all but given up on because you don't see any way for them to actually come to pass. He looks at those and says, even though you think there's no hope, even though there isn't any sign of life, I'm looking at it and I'm speaking to that situation as though it wasn't and it brings forth life. Because God is the same God who spoke into nothing, right? And said, let there be light. And there was light, right? He spoke the world into creation. (laughs) And we don't think, like, we don't think our little circumstance or situation 
can possibly have any kind of positive outcome sometimes. Get over yourself. You are not that big of a deal. Sorry. Not really. Turn with me to John chapter 11. I'm going to read this, and I have a couple quick points um, that we're going to dive deeper into tonight, Sunday night. So this is like a preview, if you guys want that. And if you want part B, we're going to finish this evening. And so uh, I say that because this is just to entice you to go a little deeper tonight um, because I've been excited about what God's doing. Um, So verse 1, it says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I love it when Jesus speaks plainly because sometimes it's confusing. But even his disciples gets com- even his disciples get confused. And so Jesus just says, no, he's dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Such a positive like outlook there, Thomas, right? just seems like a little like a, a pessimist, doesn't he? Like, <laughs> like a little Eeyore or something like that. Let's go to. Thomas doesn't know what he's saying there. We, we may have just made light of that. I don't think he was just saying saying that to be like depressive or be pessimistic. We read just a few chapter or just a few verses earlier that they were totally they, they, they totally believed that Jesus was going back to be stoned. And I believe what Thomas is saying here was actually not just this kind of pessimistic like, oh let's go to I'm gonna get stoned, like we're gonna die with Jesus. But I believe this here was a sign of loyalty to Jesus, that wherever he goes I'm going with him. So I, I feel like we disrespected him there in that sense because he is, he is saying, even if they kill us, we're going with you, Jesus. There's nowhere else that we could go. Mm. In fact, this is where the story shifts. In fact, uh, John's perspective that up until this moment, things kind of could go either way for Jesus. But Jesus, even himself later, when we read about here, it, it's ushering in, in Jesus' death here that we'll read about here and so it's not just a it's not a casual side point 
But it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here. So they will, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Out of all of this, one of the first things I want to mention, I'm going to hit these quickly. The very first thing that I see here is that um, we need to understand that our resurrection isn't just a coming event. It's a here and now reality. Right, with Martha, Martha had faith, and I love her response to Jesus. She shows up and said, Jesus, if you would have been here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died, but I know anything that you ask, even now God will do it. And she didn't have this expectation. We don't read here that there was any kind of anticipation for her to ask Jesus to raise the dead, to restore Lazarus back to life. But she's still saying that, I trust you, God. Even though things didn't work out the way that I thought they would, my faith and my trust is still in you, right? And, God, and Jesus is asking, well, I mean, do you believe, basically? So it's talking about the resurrection. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. He uses some pretty strong language there. And what he was trying to get across to Martha was that, no, he's not just going to be resurrected someday off in the near future, which is a glorious promise that we have from Scripture. 
We understand that, that with Jesus, we have, uh, we have inherited eternal life. Uh, there is a reality that's coming that we'll read about in Revelation chapter 21 that we'll spend eternity with God where there will be no more death. That's awesome. That's a day to look forward to. But God didn't just call us to get by and suffer through this life in, in a sense of, of being just, just downcast and, and just this begrudging kind of thing. We have to get through this until we get to the end not saying it's super easy or anything like that, but I believe that there is a life and life abundantly that Jesus talks about just a chapter earlier in John 10 that is available for us here and now. That we can experience the resurrection power of Jesus in our life today, not just something that we have to wait until the next side of eternity to encounter and experience. Jesus came that we would have eternal life, right? Eternal life forever and ever, I believe begins now, not just when we die. Does that make sense? I'm trying to be very simple in my explanation here. The second thing I really want to, I want to talk about is the delay of Jesus. It was intentional, friends, right? We read this. Read, read, read verse 4 with me. It says, when Jesus heard about it, heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Didn't say he wouldn't die, but it wouldn't end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Notice that. It says that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved. He had affection for them. He cared about them. He cared about their circumstance and their predicament but he still allowed it to progress. I don't know about you, if you've ever asked God to intervene, you've ever asked God to move on your behalf, and you felt like he didn't hear you, and you've let that translate to, the, to equating to, this, to the notion that God may somehow love you less. Just because God didn't respond to your prayer, your request, or your time of trouble the way that you thought he should, does not change the fact that he's still good and that he's still God and that he's still on the throne. But more importantly, above all of that, I think it's important for us to grasp this morning that he still loves and cares about you. What I thought was interesting, when we see Jesus raise the dead the last two times that we, we encountered, when we look in Luke chapter 7, it said that he had compassion on the mother, right? And rose the, rose the dead boy <laughs> up because of the compassion of the mother and gave the Gave the, son, or gave the son back to the mother, right? Moved on that behalf. Uh, we, we see again a similar thing when he raises the little girl because of the faith of a father that comes, right? We see here, he's raising Lazarus from the dead, not even because Lazarus is like one of his close friends. Not even because there's this like great motivating factor of love and friendship that does exist that's there. He's raising Lazarus from the dead here so that Jesus would be glorified. And it's not narcissistic in any kind of sense of the word. But he raises, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead so that Jesus would receive more glory. Right? That's what it says here. That the, so for the glory of God and that the Son of God, Jesus, would receive glory from this as a response that many might believe in him. 
as a result of this is that many might believe. And so I need you to understand that what you go through, the things that you suffer in this life, that you may have brought to the Lord and you've asked for his help, you've asked for him to come, and you've not seen it happen the way that you thought it should, does not mean he's not moving. Does not mean he's not active and he's not engaged and he doesn't have something intentional behind the waiting process. Because Jesus certainly could have shown up right at this request, right at this beck and call, and Lazarus would have been healed, right? He could have done that, but he allowed the temporary suffering. He allowed, he, he allowed his close friend that he cared about and that he loved to go through something. He didn't cause it. Hear me, friends. Jesus didn't kill Lazarus, but he did allow it to happen because he knew that he would receive greater glory in Lazarus' death than he would be if he was left alive. In fact, he says, it's for your sake that I'm glad that, I, that we don't go right now. That's hard for us to wrap our mind around. That's hard for us maybe to connect with because the way that we see it, we said, God, if you didn't stop it, it's the same as if you caused it, but that's not true. That's just simply not true. What you've suffered through, what you've struggled through, may be hard from your perspective to see it as something that, uh, that, that comes with, with a good result. But what we see here is even in the midst of pain and tragedy and suffering, God can use something as twisted as death to bring about glory for his name. Because this was never about one man's death here. This was never about Lazarus dying. There's a miracle here, but it was about faith in Jesus being placed because when he rose from the dead (laughs) and when he conquered death, hell, and the grave, it was foreshadowing of that fact that we might all someday have a hope that Jesus can conquer our mess and our junk and our situation. Continue to read this story. Jesus does show up. I want you to see the humanity of Jesus here. He is broken at the loss of a friend. He is moved with compassion by those that are in grief. And it tells us that it angers him. Like, Jesus is ticked off. It says that he's angered and troubled by the grief that he sees and by the victory that death seemingly holds. He's angered by it. He's troubled by it. He himself even weeps because he feels a connectedness with the loss of a friend. And seeing the, the rain, we, we actually... Uh, uh, First Peter, oh, I don't want to say the wrong verse, but I believe it's First Peter 1.10. 
actually talks about how um, the power of the devil is death. Like, the devil finds his power in death. Uh, no, that's First Corinthians. I see Tyler shaking his head because he looked up. I was reading about it earlier. I, I don't. Give me a second. I got it in my notes. Got it next to my notes. Ah, it's Hebrews 2. <laughs> I'm not even close. <laughs> it's in the Bible. I should just say that now. <laughs> Hebrews 2.14 tells us that Jesus, through death, he would destroy the one that has the power of death, who is the devil. There you go. Sorry. I knew it was in there. Yeah. There's some there. I was studying it, so I, I had it. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry, friends. Um, he's troubled by it. And I, I really, I strongly wish that you and I could be troubled the same way Jesus was troubled. I, I, I want there to be a holy anger that rises up inside of you as the bride of Christ when you think about the death and injustice that takes place in this world, that when you, when you consider the power that sin has over humanity and the fact that it's sentenced to death because of sin and that people are not just physically dying, but with a physical death also comes a spiritual death that people experience every single day and that should frustrate you to the point of action. I believe in the same way that Jesus wept, we should be motivated to tears when we think of the condition of humanity. Because I believe that's how Jesus is moved by the power and the hand of the enemy. But I love the end of this story, right? Jesus, it says that Lazarus has been dead for four days. If you're curious about that, the the Jewish kind of, um, I don't know how you'd say it, like superstition of the day was that the spirit would hang and hover over the body for three days. But by the fourth day, there would be no hope for resurrection. And so the fourth day would be depart. So that's why Jesus waits four days. Which is interesting there. Um, just something a little cultural tidbit. So by now, all hope is gone. Because Jesus has already raised the dead before this. Um, it's not just something, it's not like this is brand new to Jesus. Um, like, there, there, there could have been hope for Jesus to even raise Lazarus here. But they say by the fourth day, he's putrid, he's smelly. There's nothing, there's no hope. This is beyond gone, right? He's dead, dead. <laughs> The tomb is enclosed, and Martha even says, I mean, no, God, like, he's, he stinks, like, and, and the people thinking, like, oh, he just wants to go into the tomb, maybe because he's crying now, just wants to get a last look at his friend, but that isn't what he do, does, right? He rolls away, he has the stone rolls away, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And one of my, one of the things that has always marked me by this story, and I know I've preached it before, 
Lazarus comes up, he comes out, but he's still wrapped in his grave clothes, right? Right? He's, I don't know how that looked. Like maybe he kind of like did the, the shuffle or something like that. His head is still wrapped and he comes out. Like it's a, it's a pretty like intense scene. <laughs> and then Jesus instructs those that are around to help him get the grave clothes off. And uh, I believe that so many Christians today live in the realm of hearing God call their name, hearing the call to come out, where we get up, we come forward, we've been resurrected, we've been resuscitated, but we live like dead men with the grave clothes still on. And I believe that there is a call, there is a commission not just to live resurrected, not just to come forth uh, and, and, you know, somehow have, a, have, a, have all the signs of life, but live like though we were dead. It would have done Lazarus no benefit to continue to wear those grave clothes, even as a sign or a token of saying, hey, guess what happened to me? The powerful aspect of Lazarus's resurrection was the fact that he was raised <laughs> and his life was restored but there was one final command that Jesus gave and it wasn't even to him it was to those that were surrounding him that had witnessed the miracle to come alongside Lazarus and help get those grave clothes off I love how he didn't tell him to take them off yourself and I, I really believe going into this next season as a mark of vision for this church is that we are going to live like God has raised us from the dead. We are going to live like we've had a second shot at life and that it's going to not look <laughs> like we just woke up from the grave. <laughs> what do I mean by that? I believe there is a call to holiness that God is calling us to. I think of what uh, Isaiah talks about, our righteousness being like filthy rags. I, I think about the, the number of times that we read throughout the New Testament, specifically in Galatians, where we're to put on Christ as a new garment, as clothing. I believe that there needs to, become a, 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 there needs to be a change of the garment. There needs to be a change of the grave clothes. But there's a coming alongside one another in order to get those grave clothes off. I think of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not neglect the gathering of saints as is the habit of some, but that we should actually encourage one another as the day of the Lord comes nearer. Friends, we need each other in this. And I believe what we're going to see as we see people come to life in Christ, we're going to see a community of believers gather around to encourage and prompt and provoke holiness to look and live like we've actually been resurrected. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with what I'm saying? Thanks for making me not tilt my head up a ton. But my simple prayer is that we would experience this resurrection life that Jesus has talked about. That we'd encounter him as the resurrection and the life. Not as a way to resurrection, not as a form of life, but that is who he is. And that's exciting, friends. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 
Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.